If you're looking for ways to prioritize your health and fitness, run more efficiently, understand food, and somehow fit it all into a fun and family-centered life, you're in the right place. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. Thank you so much for joining us today on another episode of the Real Life Runners podcast. We are your hosts, Angie and Kevin Brown. And first, we wanted to start off with a with a little apology. Sorry that this episode is a day late, but um, as you might be able to tell by our voices during this episode, neither one of us is healthy this week. Yeah, the flu hit our household real hard, and uh, well, I was I was down and down and out for a couple of days. I think you were you were out for a day, and then I got sick, and so you had to just take over everything. And the man flu took over. <laughs> yes, the man flu took over. And <laughs> I literally could not get out of bed. I today is the first day that I've been upright in a couple of days. So no, I was allowed one day. Yeah, you were allowed one day. I was allowed the rest of them. So. <laughs> no, we're joking. And you're actually a pretty good sick guy, from from what I've heard from other uh, friends of mine who have very severe man flus in their in their households right but we got to get we got to get this episode out because it is in fact full of really good information today we're gonna deviate away from running a little bit and um, talk a little bit more about food today Um, we are definitely going to tie this into running and how it relates to our life as runners but Today, let's talk a little bit about food, and we want to bust some of the the myths out there regarding food and calorie counting, and I'm sure everybody's familiar with this that's ever tried to lose any sort of weight is you have to burn more calories than you take in, right, Kev? Is that what we're told? Right. It's the it's the theory of calories in versus calories out, and as long as you have a deficit, you should be losing weight. And the theory, I love the idea behind it because it's such simple numbers. Like I never tried to do this, but I like the thought behind it because all you have to do is just add up what goes in, subtract what goes out, and you should be able to perfectly nail weight loss or weight maintaining or whatever it is. Yeah. Makes perfect sense, right? I mean, but, (laughs) but, but for some reason it just doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. That's why I'm so excited for this episode because you've got all sorts of scientific reasoning. And I mean, both of us just have actual real life experience as why this isn't working out perfectly. Right. So, you know, one of the problems that I see with this method is it's very tedious. People that diet and count calories can waste so much time just keeping track of how many calories they're eating. It's I've done it before. I know like I I used to have a food journal and try to look up how many calories were in an apple and and then they came out with the apps that just made it so much easier. You just, you know, put your food in and your size and your portion and it just calculated it all for you. But even that was still a pain in the butt to keep track of all day, every day, every single morsel that you put into your mouth. And so much of it is an estimate, especially if you've combined any foods together to make a meal. 
Right. You know, like it's one thing if you have an apple, that's already an estimate because you're looking at your apple and you're saying, mm, is it a medium apple right. or large? And I'm I'm just guessing yeah. that it probably varies depending on what type of apple you're eating. And how big your hand is, like, <laughs> right? I mean. Yes, it's medium if it fits in the palm of your hand. Yeah. Cool. What if it's shack? Yeah. Like that's an enormous apple. Well, and that's the thing that, that would drive me the craziest about it is, you know, when I was cooking a meal, like I don't always make my chicken separate and my rice separate separate and my vegetables separate. Like I like to make things combined together or I cook things with oil and I don't always measure how much oil goes into the pan and it just became too much to keep track of. And I just, it didn't, it made cooking not even enjoyable and eating as well. Like it made both of them too tedious that I couldn't even enjoy my food. Right. And so then you get into the point where eating and cooking is stressful and that's not helping for weight loss either. Right. Exactly. So there are a lot of problems with this theory of calories in and calories out. Um, like we said, for the most part, it doesn't work. I mean, it can work in the short term, especially if you have a good amount of weight to lose. Um, and if you have a tendency to overeat. So just keeping track of what you're putting in your mouth just makes you more aware of it, and you have less of a tendency to overeat if you're keeping track of every single thing that you're eating. Well, yeah, that's entirely true. I used to be terrible with snacking. I mean, I've never really had an issue myself with with trying to to lose weight or whatever, but, you know, there was a point where if I opened a box of of crackers, that that was my serving size. (laughs) Yeah. You know, what? Whether it started full or it started half full, that was my serving, and that, that's probably not the best idea. So just having an idea of what you're eating is a good is a good move, right? So it, I think that it can be helpful um, in the short term. It can be helpful just to make you more aware of what you're eating, and in that sense, it is a good thing. But outside of that sense, I I, I just don't like the idea. One of the best things, once you start trying to figure out what it is that you're putting in, is you start really paying attention to the quality of the food that you're putting into your body. Right. And And that's that's, the number one thing. Right. Well, that's the number one problem with this theory is that just if you just count calories, it doesn't take into account the quality of the food you're eating. Right. According to the theory, I should be able to eat cake all day long as long as I go for a long enough run in the morning. Right. And as long as you don't eat more than 1,500 calories of it. Right. So give me the cake and let me go for a run. It's going to be, it's going to work out. And, yeah. But it, it doesn't. That's yeah. not how it works. Well, That's not how your body works. Clearly not. You know, I mean, calories from cake, which are sugar and processed carbs, is not the same as eating the same amount of calories from Brussels sprouts or broccoli or chicken or, uh, you know, grass-fed hamburger. Like, it's not the same. All calories are not created equal and our body responds to different foods in different ways. So Kevin, was you were just telling me about a, a recent article that you read um, about the way that our bodies absorb different nutrients. Yeah, I was actually looking through a, like a kids science thing to come up with a an article for my chemistry class to read and one of the things off to the side was about how the body absorbed calories from almonds versus pistachios like that seems weird and they did a study and they they literally measured exactly how many calories were theoretically in those almonds and then measured how many calories um from those almonds left the person's body as waste within the next day and they realized that people were not fully processing almonds because you just don't chew nuts into a paste 
Right. So the body doesn't even absorb all the calories that we eat, which then makes calorie counting and estimates even more inaccurate. Then there's the idea of how the calories are processed, how from person to person, different people process calories. You know, some people are, are said to have a high metabolism. I mean, when I was in high school and college, I could just eat and eat and eat and I wasn't putting on weight. And most Aww, of it, poor baby. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel bad for me, but I, I, I could take in insane amounts of carbs and yeah, one, I was running a lot, but I was taking in more carbs than I should have been able to be burning off mm. because I just, I burned through certain fuels and it, it also varies from person to person, whether you're putting in carbohydrates, you're putting in lean proteins of how that person processes the calories going in. Absolutely. And that can actually lead into um, another thing that you're scientific literature talks about is there are three basic body types that people can get categorized into and those are endomorph, ectomorph, and mesomorph. And based on that body type, there's certain diets and certain ratios of carbs to protein to fats that are going to be better for you based on how much muscle you have in your body, whether or not you're quote unquote naturally thin or if you're more apple shaped or pear shaped. And, you know, there's all these different ways that science likes to classify different body types. And based on your body type, they've found that there's actually different ratios of macronutrients, the, the protein, carbs, and fats that are most ideal for different body types. So that is another um, thing that supports that theory that, you know, different body types process things differently. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I read it off of a Twitter feed the other day. I think it was Dathan Ritzenheim that put something out there. Like he had a study done on how quickly his body burns carbohydrates. And he burned carbs at a level that was like 10, 20 times higher than like a normal human being. Yeah. He just literally burned through carbs. Yeah, I heard an interview with him on another podcast and he was talking about that. That's why it was so hard for him to go up to the marathon mm -hmm. because when he was running for so long, he literally just burned through all of his fuel. Yeah. But when he was trying to take in gels, it was giving him cramping issues. So he was trying to figure out how to get in enough carb calories without getting sort of sloshing in the stomach from drinking too much. It, it was a mess to try and balance it all out. Right. So anyway, so that's basically another reason why this theory doesn't work is because different bodies process calories differently. Different people have different calorie needs and not all calories are processed the same. You know, a hundred calories of cake is not the same thing as a hundred calories of lean chicken breast. And this theory definitely doesn't take into consideration our hormone levels and our hormones are so important in weight gain, weight loss, or weight maintenance. And there's been a lot of research into this lately in the last you know few years, especially um, with the advent of these high-fat, low-carb diets and the importance of hormones and insulin and insulin sensitivity and all these other things that play a part in the way that our body holds on to weight or loses weight. So the calories in, calories out model that just completely ignores that whole thing, which is pretty much the main driving force of how our body deals with um, storing the food that we eat. 
Well, I mean, before we got into the high fat craze, there was the super low fat craze. Right. Like it started at the other extreme. But to take food and take it from normal food to low fat food, they had to still make it taste good. And most of the ways of making it taste good was upping the sugar levels inside of it. And so while everybody went to a low fat diet and thought, oh, low fat, this would be healthier, their sugar levels were through the roof. That can't be good for you. Right. And so... The problem with the artificial and the processed foods that the low-fat diets kind of brought into existence um, is that they increase our insulin sensitivity because it increased the sugar in the different foods. And, And when we eat a lot of sugar and processed food, it spikes our insulin. And insulin is a hormone that our body uses to... Basically, tell it tells our body what to do with the food that we eat. So when we eat food, insulin is released. And insulin basically tells the body that we need to store some of that food as fat for later on. And that's a primitive... Um, reaction of our body like when we used to be hunters and gatherers and we weren't sure when our next meal would come because you didn't know if you were going to kill a boar that day or whatnot your body used to store part of what you ate as fat so that you would survive until your next meal right so you get the sugar spike and the sugar spike told your body all right i've got to immediately store fat right because more insulin was released and so basically As we eat more sugar and processed carbs, our body's constantly releasing insulin. And so our insulin levels never come back down. So what should happen is you eat food, your insulin levels go up to to tell your body what to do with that food. And then as your body digests the food, the insulin levels go back down to their baseline. And then you eat again and the insulin levels go up and then, you know, your body figures out what to do with the food and etc. Right? This was an issue when you started eating food that had so much sugar because your body literally couldn't process all of the sugar, drop your insulin before you were eating again. Correct. And that's also part of the issue with like the eating every two hours thing is that your insulin levels never actually get to drop back down also. So if you're eating a lot of processed carbohydrates and eating them frequently where you're kind of grazing throughout the day, your insulin levels are just always high. And the problem with that is your body becomes desensitized to insulin. So you start to develop what's called insulin sensitivity, which means your insulin is not as effective as it's supposed to be. So your body just starts storing all sorts of fat. So... I I didn't like this one when you first brought this up because I really enjoy grazing throughout the day. Like I pretty much like to eat from the time I wake up until I go to bed <laughs> and I like to give myself just enough of a window before I run so that I don't cramp up on the run. Mm-hmm. So if I run first thing in the morning, I then just like to eat for the rest of the day. And you told me that was a bad idea. I didn't tell you it was a bad idea. Everybody, you did. You, did. you looked at me and you said, stop that. <laughs> Everyone's body is different. I'm just, you know, there's science behind this. You suggested that maybe I give another approach a shot. You got to admit that one. You did not tell me that was bad, but you did suggest maybe instead of grazing as much, try putting some more fat into your diet. Try eating more at your main meals during the day and see if putting more fat in there will actually keep you satisfied as you go. 
Right. Did it help? Yes. So I added fat into my breakfast. I added fat into other meals. So like in my bowl of oatmeal in the morning, I literally just put a scoop of like coconut oil into it. Mm -hmm. And now I don't need like a 10 o'clock snack. I can make it all the way to lunch. Right. And so another one of the important hormones that we're talking about um, when it comes to weight control and stuff is a hormone called leptin. And leptin is basically your body's um, hormone that gets released when you're full and satiated. So when we have insulin sensitivity and our body doesn't respond well to insulin, it's also dysfunctionally... Um, responding to leptin. So we don't feel full when we should if we're eating, again, a high-processed diet um, that's basically tricking our bodies into not feeling full and just constantly craving, craving, craving more processed carbs. This is an excellent double whammy. One, you're taking all of the calories that you have and storing them as fat. And two, you're never full. Right. So you just keep eating and what you eat gets stored as fat. Yep. So... So yeah, so our hormones are essentially all out of whack when it comes to eating the standard American diet because of all of the processed food that we're eating. That's one of the biggest problems. So when the hormone levels are out of whack, like we said, you tend to just store fat and you don't lose weight. Even if you if you even if you're counting your calories, it doesn't matter if your hormones are all out of whack, you're still not going to lose the weight you want to lose, even if you're trying to restrict your calories. And I think that that's what a lot of people have run into. You know, they're restricting their calories and they're not losing weight and they're wondering what the heck is going on. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the biggest gist of most of the like huge diet programs out there is just keep track of what you're eating and cut down on it. Like all of the like big name ones that have been around for decades and decades, that's their, that's their gist is reduce the amount of calories you have. Come to a meeting and talk to people about it. Right. And the problem with these restrictive diets is that it, they tend to slow your metabolism down in the long term. Okay. So a lot of times these diets, they, they work at the beginning, right? You start, you cut calories, your body creates this calorie deficit, you start to lose weight. So then people are excited about it. They're, you know, going along with the program, things are going well. The problem is the body was made to adapt to what you give it. So if you're normally eating 2,000 calories a day and you cut it down to 1,500, right, you're creating a 500-calorie deficit, which is what a lot of these programs like to tell people to create, a 500-calorie per day that leads to a pound a week because 3,500 calories equals one pound. So if you cut out... <laughs> I, I love the simple math. Right. If you cut 500 calories a day, you should lose one calorie, one pound every one week. One pound a week, Not right? a chance. And that, well, and that's what, you know, that's the healthy way to lose weight and, and blah, 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 right? Right. So the problem is <clears throat> after a little while, the body says, oh, okay, you're only giving me 1,500 calories, so I need to learn how to survive and subsist on 1,500 calories, not 2,000. Because you used to be giving me 2,000, but I'm not getting that anymore. I'm only getting 1,500. So it drops your baseline metabolism. Correct. So you just, throughout the, the day, your normal activities don't burn as many calories. Exactly. Because the body says, well, I can't anymore, so I'm just going to burn more efficiently. Right. So your body essentially learns how to be more efficient, and it only uses the 1,500 calories. So now you're not actually creating a calorie deficit anymore. So then in order to create another calorie deficit, you would have to then cut calories again 
or exercise more. So that's kind of where a lot of people and dieters end up finding themselves at some point in time. They either have to keep cutting calories or they have to keep increasing how much they exercise to create that calorie deficit that they're they're exercising for hours and hours a day at the gym or they're eating so little food that they're cranky and their brain is foggy and you know they're just suffering in other aspects of their life just to try to maintain that calorie deficit. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you've got it summed up really nicely in the outline here where you said you can't cut calories forever. You can't. Mm-hmm. If you, you can't take it down to zero. You have to put fuel into your body. It needs food to run basic processes to keep you alive. Right, especially when you're training. You know, as a runner, like you can't just cut calories. Like your body needs calories as fuel to fuel your runs and to fuel your training. So you can't cut calories forever. And that's why these restrictive diets tend to, you know, sometimes work in the short term, but they stop working in the long term. So we've been talking a lot about estimating on the calories going in, but then we were saying, well, if you have to keep exercising more and more to keep burning more calories, you still need to somehow estimate how many calories are going out. Okay. And there's like a very easy running shorthand that's so easy because it's, well, it's wrong. And it suggests (laughs) that there's basically a hundred calories burned for every mile that you run. And it's a solid ballpark estimate. Right. But it changes. It changes all the time. It changes depending on what pace you're running, what your heart rate is. It changes based off of your experience. You know, there's a lot different calorie burn if I go off on a certain pace right now than if I ran the same pace in my first year running years and years ago. Yeah. You know, and even though it's literally the same distance at the same pace, I'm, my body has, has trained to that so much, so I just don't use as many calories to do the exact same thing. Yeah, I remember when you told me about when you were reading Meb's book and he was talking about how many calories he burns per mile because... Oh, it was so sad. Was, wasn't it like 60? Yeah, he burned, I think it was less than 70 calories per mile because he'd been running 120, 150 mile weeks for so long that his body was basically like, well, if you're going to run that much, I have to be able to... To do all of that running with this amount of fuel inside of me. Right. So I better be really efficient at it. Mm-hmm. So his body just learned how to burn calories so efficiently that he didn't burn a lot of calories on his run as compared to like someone else. Yeah. You know, I mean, and but the, the estimate is still out there. If you ever go onto a treadmill, the only thing that it really asks you what you are in order to, to estimate your calories up in the corner, it asks you to put your weight in. Mm-hmm. That's it. It doesn't even ask, it doesn't ask your gender. It doesn't ask your age. It doesn't ask anything. And it's not keeping track of your heart rate the whole time. It just asks how much do you weigh and then it'll estimate what you have. And it it overestimates basically every single time mm-hmm. by a lot in some cases. Yeah. Um, what, what else does it, our watches, our watches estimate calorie burns. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what they use, but it, it, they can't be that perfect. Well, probably, probably heart rate mostly, like especially some of, you know, the heart rate based ones. Yeah. And I mean, they're probably more accurate than the treadmill, but it's still ultimately an estimate. And so if you're trying to lose weight based off of this whole calorie in calorie out, you're ballparking calories in, you're ballparking calories out and neither one of them are really all that exact at exactly. all. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, basically what it comes down to, in our opinion, is 
you know, calorie restriction doesn't work. And especially if you are wanting to train for something or, you know, really like running and want to be a runner, calorie restriction is just really not going to work for you. Like there's so many better ways to lose weight if that's something that you want to do. Um, and there's so many better ways to get healthy versus just trying to count your calories to, to lose weight. I mean, that's, that to me is not like what it's about anymore anyway. Yeah, you, uh, you had a line in here that, that really kind of caught me off guard, and I wanted to talk about this one. I know I'm, I'm jumping ahead here, but you put down running is not a great solution for weight loss. And I, that just sounds controversial, that running is not a great solution for weight loss. Right. I mean, it's obviously a very loaded statement. And running can help people lose weight. I mean, obviously it can, um, especially people that are sedentary that start on a new exercise program and they start running. Like running is going to build your, your strength and your muscles and it's going to help you lose weight. Ultimately, running is a stress on the body. And when... Your body is under stress. It produces stress hormones, and one of those hormones is cortisol. And cortisol holds on to weight. That's one of the things it does. It's it's one of those things that basically makes our bodies store fat. So running, if you're running like too much, especially if you're if you get into overtraining issues and that kind of thing, your cortisol levels are higher. So in that way running can kind of be the opposite thing for weight loss. Right. When when people first start running, you get a lot of stories about, oh, running changed my life. I lost this much weight. But you don't often get a lot of stories of, I ran this marathon and lost this much weight. Right. People who decide to get into running and immediately train for a marathon, that is not a good way to try to lose weight. Right, exactly. Because training for a marathon is very hard on the body. And with the amount of training that you have to do for a marathon, it breaks the body down and you need a lot of calories to help repair the muscles. You need a lot of calories to fuel the muscles for your workouts. And if you don't give your body enough fuel, you're just going to continue to break down and you'll end up injured or sick or some other problems. Right. This this leads to one of the basic principles behind why you can't just restrict calories is if you are pushing your body, you need to give it fuel after a workout. You have to give it the recovery energy that it needs to help rebuild the muscles that you've broken down. Right. And especially um, protein. Protein is very important after a workout. We've kind of talked about this a little bit before. Um, there's this golden ratio of four to one. You know, when you, after a workout, you should eat a snack or a meal that has a, a four to one ratio of carbs to protein. There's some debate on that. I'm I'm not completely sold on that ratio yet. Isn't there um, a window also? There's a window of like 30 to 90 minutes that most of the science says now and you know i'm i'm still reading into a lot of this and trying to figure out how this works with um some of these low carb high fat diets and that kind of thing too but no matter what diet plan you might follow or might read up on one thing that i found in trying different programs reading about different programs reading the science one thing that all of them agree on is to cut out processed food from the diet. 
Right. I mean, you've said this over and over. Uh, you've tried reading all sorts of different diet books, not even necessarily to, to change, but just to figure out what the theory is behind all of them. And the takeaway almost out of almost every diet plan is eat good food. Right. So basically, choose high-quality, non-processed food. That is the number one piece of advice that we can give as you know, we're not dietitians, we're not nutritionists, we're just parents and athletes and this is the best advice that I can give you based on all of the stuff that I've read. High quality, non-processed food is going to be the key for weight loss. Yeah, I mean, this is part of why you should cook most of your meals because then you know what's going into it. Absolutely. The, the more it comes in a box, the more it's like, oh, stick in the microwave. The, there's probably some sort of pro extra processing to it and high sodium. Right. Um, another, I think, key point is to eat when you're hungry. And a third is don't go crazy on the carbs. I think that as runners, you know, sometimes, sometimes people have it in their mind that they can eat Carbs, carbs, carbs is as, as much as they want. And I think that the need for carbs has been vastly overblown. I think that our body does need carbs for sure, especially when we're training for endurance sports like running. But I think that the amount of carbs that our body needs is much less than we've been told in the past. And the types of carbs that you need to put in your body, there's a whole wide range that you could put in. Having having extra carbs in the day doesn't mean that you should eat six pieces of bread and a bowl of cereal. Like there's there's a lot more options than some crackers when it comes to adding extra carbs into your diet. Like like vegetables and fruits and potatoes. Like there's all sorts of carbohydrates out there that that are much more filling. And it took me a while to, to come around on not eating an endless amount of crackers. But I actually really do enjoy eating some some veggies with some hummus over a whole box of crackers. I find it more satisfying to have like a handful of vegetables. There's a lot more chewing involved. It's just, it's a more satisfying food experience. <laughs> oh, a food experience. Yeah, food experience. I went with that. Yeah. And and it's it's good. And, you know, when you when you look on the box of crackers, even the, the like, you know, the so-called good crackers, they still, there's a lot of processing because that, that's not what that grain looked like originally. Like it had to be like refined and pounded and turned into a cracker. Whereas that piece of broccoli looks like what it looked like when it came out of the ground. Yeah. So... Um, so that's basically kind of our take on the whole calories in and calories out thing. Um, you know, don't get crazy tied up in it. That's kind of my opinion. Um, and you know, different things work for different people. So if it works for you, great. But once it stops working for you, hopefully this episode has maybe given you a couple reasons why it stopped working and maybe even giving you a couple um, things to, to try to try to kind of troubleshoot wh what your next step should be if weight loss is your goal. Um, but I think that, you know, when we look at running and weight loss and, and this kind of thing, it's important to just keep in mind that running is a celebration of what our bodies can do. That's kind of how I'm seeing it now. Like I saw this quote once that, that I... That was beautiful. 
oh, thanks. But I, I love this one quote that was, you know, I exercise to celebrate my body, not to punish myself for what I just ate. I like it. That's really nice. I um, I also think that one of the big things to focus on, on the whole idea of, of weight loss and running and everything, is that this is a long-term process. You know, if the plan is not how much weight can I lose in the next three weeks, because whatever you're doing to try and lose a huge amount of weight in three weeks is probably not the healthiest long-term plan. If you look at, at running and eating as a, as a lifelong process that that's usually a better angle to to look at it from like looking at your food from 30,000 feet tends to help yeah so all right guys so thank you so much for joining us today and putting up with our uh sick voices and um if you enjoyed this please go over to iTunes and leave us a review it would mean so much to us and we absolutely adore all of you that have left us a review in the past and have subscribed to our show. If you're interested in any sort of training plans or some coaching, you can head on over to the website at realliferunners.com. Thank you for spending this time with us today and we'll catch you guys next week.